writer, director, and lifelong bangster. Hell yeah. I'm Gab- I've had bangs my whole life. <laughs> I know, I've seen photos. I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, uh, and former fifth grade treasury candidate. Wait, you didn't win? Nope. <laughs> what is the fourth grade treasury? Fifth grade. And oh, I, I'm so sorry. I have no idea. I think we hand- I handled like pizza money. Unclear. Oh, no one would trust you with money. I thought it was the one most likely that I could win, oh. and then I lost. But my posters did say, uh, uh, Gabby gets the job done, D-U-N-N. That's smart. I know, still lost. I never ran for anything. Really? No, I, no confidence? I, I've just run from things. <laughs> <laughs> like yourself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why. I just, I don't know even why. I think I just needed a purpose. I would get appointed positions of power from the faculty yes because uh like in the 10th grade we did like a like a entire grade model un and um what was kofi anon like the head of the but what's that title called head of the un sure that's what i was director of the un that's not what it's called but anyway me and one guy got picked and we got to like be in charge of the whole thing but again that's because it was like not an election yeah. Like the people won't vote for me, <laughs> but I can be I can be like appointed to things. <laughs> um teachers liked you? Yeah. Oh, got it. I was not I was not liked by teachers and then eventually by students not liked. I don't feel any need to dive into what my childhood was. <laughs> I agree. Like I just like I I was so unlikable and so off-putting and the fact that now without I meet people and they're like, "Oh, well she's friendly and nice." I'm like, "Yes." Yeah. I've done it. <laughs> Yeah, I was just so annoying, but I was annoying up until like, I don't know, 26 years old. So I really have no excuse. You got less annoying like a year ago. Right? Yeah, but so did I. I was still somewhat annoying until a year ago as well. Do you think that's why we got along? Maybe. We were both really annoying, but in different ways. Here's what I felt. Sometimes when I was annoyed with you, I would be like, I mean, yeah, I'm annoyed, but like, I'm super annoying, so, like, how can I judge? You know what I mean? Like, I'd be like, well, but, like, she puts up with me, so. Yeah. And I would be like, well, I can't be that annoying if Gabby's more annoying than me. Exactly. (laughs) I think it really, like, worked itself out. Yeah, and then we rubbed off on each other in good ways. Yeah. Beautiful. We have a book. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We have a, yeah, we have a book. Uh, it's called Please Send Help, and it is coming out July, uh, July 16th. 16th. So our guest this week is Risa Lysia, who's uh, a really funny comedian, um, and we're going to ask her some tough questions. And later we'll be talking about sexism, both how it manifests in society and our own beautiful personal experiences with it. This is pretty exciting stuff. I know. But first, hit it! International question! International question! International question! Anna Florida. From my hometown. Hollywood, Florida, baby. Hollywood, Florida, literally where I grew up. Uh, and, well, I'd say where you grew, and then you grew up out here. <laughs> Anna wants to know, 
Hey guys, I've been struggling financially and emotionally, which has run me into a bit of a dump. How do you think internalized capitalism has affected us? I work six days a week and still struggle to believe I'm being productive enough in life. Oh my God, Anna, you've come to the right place. I hate this. I just got told that it's called, and I didn't know that this was like a thing, but it was called toil glamour, which means this thing of like, Oh, the grind, like hashtag work till I die. Like I'll sleep when I'm dead. Like this thing where people believe that they have to be working all the time and like showing that they're working all the time on social media so that everyone else feels like shit because they're not working all the time. And like their job becomes their whole life and their whole existence. And it like it defines their self-worth. I constantly feel like I'm not working enough. And I'm sure you do too, even though we are working and I'm exhausted. I don't really work that much, but I do think that you're lying. I don't though. Your perception. Other people go to work and they work from like 9 a.m. to like 8 p.m. I don't do that. No. Okay. But that's toil glamour because they're not actually working. Like I, I had a whole thing um, where I interviewed on Bad With Money, which I mentioned, I guess once an episode now, my, uh, my other podcast, I interviewed this woman about Gen Z's work habits. And it was all about like how they're like at work and like want to be seen at their desks late, but they're like reading books or like, you know, doing other stuff. They're like not doing all all, like work the whole time. It's just to look like you are so that it makes people like you feel bad, Alison Raskin. I feel bad enough on my own, but thank you. Um, (laughs) No, I mean, I also think that there's really something to like valuing the amount of money a job makes, which Mm -hmm. is like so insane to me because so many actual important jobs, you get paid shit. Yes. Uh, So like teachers, not paid. Nonprofit sector, not paid. You know, all of these things where, like, it's actually really important and beneficial to society. And then you have, like, you know, Jake Paul, divorce lawyers making shit tons of money, not necessarily. Shout out to your mom. Shout out to my mom, divorce (laughs) and child custody attorney, Karen Grainer. I just, I don't know what to do about this because I also, like, I feel very conflicted because, on the one hand, I love money. Yes. And so working a lot. Okay. Here's the thing. Uh, this is from a book called Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin. Um, it's a little self-helpy, but it's great. And the book, it says it, to count your money and your work in terms of hours of your life and what you buy in terms of hours of your life. So if you're doing some work you go and you break it down by hours and you're like, is this work worth this amount of hours? And then when you buy something, you break it down too. So you go, okay, I want to buy these sneakers. Now, how does that compare to the hours of my work? So I would never buy anything. But that's not true. Like, I'll I'll think about it. Like, I wanted to buy these pins and they were $8. And I was like, $8 is like 15 minutes, let's say, of like writing something. So that's that to me is worth it. But if Whoa, it's like... what kind of rate are you getting? That's, that's high. That's true. I guess it was like more like an hour or something. It's but, also like with our work specifically, it's all different. Like, I have felt very much like we've been overpaid for a lot of things. Like, a lot of like branded right? ad campaigns it'll be like well that's insane i did 10 minutes of work on that and then you know we i wrote a script for a network and we got to split four thousand dollars <laughs> i know so the things that that are, we get paid a lot for don't make any sense i think that that symbolizes the issue with that money is not uh, correctly attached to like the value of the project or the work mm-hmm. so you have to recognize that when you're looking at your own life Yes. And if you're doing something that you love and that you enjoy and it's not necessarily making you as much money as you want, you have to think about, but my life is my time. 
That's what, yeah, that's what this book is talking like, about. Like, it's your actual, like, day-to-day, like, your existence. And so, yes, like, you might not get to, like, go on as many vacations or mm-hmm. have as many nice clothes or, you know, and that sucks. But, like, if you're getting to do something where you actually enjoy it, then that has so much more value than money, I think. I know. If, you're not, in, if you're not in poverty. Absolutely. I mean, I've had jobs that were um, really well-paid and I was, like, literally panicked and miserable being there. And then I have friends, too, who, like, my ex-boyfriend was talking about how he worked in the financial sector and he made so much money. and But he would, like, on Sunday night, every Sunday, have a full panic attack right. about going to work. And he was like, I can't do this anymore. But I also think it's going to be different person to person. Mm-hmm. Like, some people really value money and stability. Yes. And that is their number one goal. And so they're more willing to maybe put up with a job that they don't like or work extra hours because they know that that's what will make them happy. Yeah. Other people, it's much more about the work-life balance. And mm-hmm. they would rather work maybe less hours for a, a lower paycheck but get to, like, travel or get yeah. to explore things or have a hobby or spend more time with friends and family. Yeah. Internalized capitalism is rough, too because it is it is this thing where you do feel like you have to be contributing at all times. When I graduated from college, if I didn't have, and I, I had Facebook at the time, and if I didn't have a job listed on my Facebook, I was like, I'm garbage. I'm a piece of shit. I'm not contributing anything to society. I can't believe I'm alive. And I, like, why is that how we value who we are? Because I don't think we figured out any other way. I know. Because we don't know why we're here. I got to 31 years old without a hobby. And I just picked up guitar and I have no interest in making any money off guitar. And I'm just doing it because I'm like, I don't have a hobby. That is bananas. Like one of the worst symptoms of my OCD before I was medicated was uh, like that I felt like I had to be productive all the time. Mm-hmm. So every day it was like, I need to be working this amount of hours. If I don't, if I don't write this amount of pages, I'm worthless. If I, you know, and, and I think that you see that a lot with people who have OCD where they're actually like hyper productive. Yeah. But since uh, this last round of meds and since, like, what I've been working on in myself, I've actually been able to, like, enjoy not working. Yeah. You know, like, so there's been times where I'm just, like, between projects or the projects I have just don't – they don't occupy the entire day. Yeah. And so learning to, like, be okay with that. Yeah. And to not tie that completely to my self-worth. I have to tell you that I don't think anything else has made my therapist more proud of me (laughs) than my ability to do that. Yeah. And so, like, Anna, I would really say, like, make that a goal in your life where, like, you don't – where you don't feel that every day, where, like, you can relax, where you can unplug. Because it's also, like... uh I wonder if the internalized capitalism is making you think you don't have enough money when you do. Uh, But I don't know. Also, like, it sucks because it sounds like, I mean, a lot of times when people say they work six days a week, it's not the nine to five job. It's um, like gig economy, which is huge. Gig economy is like the whole thing. And so with gig economy, you don't have hours and you don't know like when, you know, when you're working, when you should stop working and when you shouldn't stop working because you could drive Lyft all night. And I felt this, like, I felt like um, with some of my work, I would be like, I could go out and spend money or I could stay in and work till like 11 and know that I'm making money. And it's hard because I would, I felt very addicted to it. Well, I, I'm a firm believer in work hours. And so yeah. if you're a freelancer and I, I think that you should observe normal business hours. And so, you know, you set your time and it's the same every day if it can be. And it's, yeah. you know, maybe it's like nine to four because like we said in offices, you're less productive. You're there longer, but you're less productive. Yeah. So if you're in charge of your own 
work and you're at home, it can be less hours. And then those are the hours that you work Mm -hmm. and then you step away. Yeah. And that is like huge for mental health. I think that really helps happiness and and balance because then if you have set hours, if you're not working, you're not worried that you're not working because you're not at work. Yeah. You know, like it's not work hours. Yeah. But if you don't have any structure to your work, then at any moment you can feel guilty because you're not working. I also think that there's a huge misconception that more time means better work. Yes, and that's not true. You're lagging. You're not doing as good of a job. I think efficiency is incredibly important. Yeah. I think it makes better work. I think it, it, like, lets you have more of a life. Like, just make decisions. Just, like, be like, I'm going to do it this way. Instead of just, like, sitting there and toiling with it or trying to figure, you know, like, just go down a route. Because honestly, like, yes, there are mistakes, but not really. I know. And even if you... Like, if if you do a thing where your internet's off or whatever, and you are working for uh, two hours, and you really focused, that's better than sitting there for five hours. And, Absolutely. And, like, just staring at the page, which I do so often. Yeah, me too. I do that so much. And then I think, well, I'm working, but are you? So anyway, I mean, obviously, I don't know uh, what field Anna is in, but I think that if, you know, I think... What you need to do because of the fact that you do have to work six days a week is to figure out how to enjoy that time when you're not working mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to and to realize you are a hardworking person. You put in the hours, you put in the time, you put in the effort. And when you're not working, you're not working. And, and it's the time to relax. I agree. To separate yourself from that. And don't feel bad about um, doing things that are self-care, like buying a face mask or like, you know, trying to like watching eight hours of your favorite show, Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> and there's also so much value in stuff that's not work-related. If you call your sibling and mm. you're there for them during a hard time, if you offer to, like, help someone with their groceries, yeah. if you're just, like, nice, you yeah. know? If, like, when you go to Trader Joe's, you're, like, fucking nice to the cashier and you're nice to the people you interact with on a mm-hmm. daily basis and you're just putting out, like, a, a positive vibe into the world, I think there's so much value in that as well. And that's what makes you a worthwhile person. Absolutely. I hope that helped, Anna. Uh, Clearly, we are riled by the subject because we've both been very much affected by this. Yeah. If you want to submit your international questions, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Riza Lysia. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Our guest is Riza Lysia. Hello. Hello. Uh, you want to introduce yourself? What do you say you are? Um, I am. Oh, like what do I identify as? Yeah. Well, she. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay. I, don't I love that. No, I love that. That was beautiful. I love it. I yeah, got, meant like for your career. Yeah, oh, like how do you how do you give your bio? Oh, uh uh actor, comedian, baller, full time cat lover. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, baller is important. Yeah, I ball. ball. How many cats? I have two cats, Meow and Mugsy, and I plug oh. them in every single podcast. Do they have their own Instagram? They don't because I can barely keep up with like the five I have to run. Sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one do you love more? Oh, oh my god. You know what? 
That's such a funny question because I always ask that to my brothers and sisters about their kids and they won't answer me. And I'm like, I know which one. I know it. Oh, so which else. one? I'm going to guess Meow. Meow is my first love. See? Yeah. I knew it. Wow. I tell, I like, I tell my boyfriend all the time just to bother him that we were lovers in another life and he came back as my cat. <sighs> and he is like, yeah, right. And he's like, I know you believe that. And I'm like, I mean, I kind of do, but also it's just fun. It's a fun bit at this point. Yeah, to annoy him. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever feel uh, like a sexual love for your cat? No. Oh, okay, yeah, no, cool. No, no. <laughs> they were just like really close. <laughs> yeah, you know? I do kiss them in the lips. Like I kiss them in the yeah. mouth before I leave, especially before all my auditions. I kiss bo- both of them. For like, luck. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's yeah. a controversial. That's like, kiss the lucky egg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a controversial thing to say you kiss your animals on the mouth. Really? Yes. Yeah, well, because, you know, they'd be licking their booty holes and stuff. Yeah. Also, like, when my dog gets a, his, like, when he's, like, kissing me and he gets his, like, tongue in my mouth, I'm like, well, you landed one. That's yeah. my <laughs> fault. That's my fault. That's on me. Yuck. I know. And then I have to go. I do go brush my teeth, though, so you'd be proud of me. Oh, oh that's good. better than me. I'm just like, all right, on my way to my audition. Uh, yeah. <laughs> With cat, cat breath. Oh, Man, so you and I are from a similar hometown. You're mm-hmm. from Miami. I'm from Fort Lauderdale. Oh yeah, very close. Did yeah. you go to school in Florida? I did. I went Where? to I went to LaSalle Private Catholic School oh, in Coconut Grove. Coconut Grove. Yeah. Did you like Miami? I love Miami. I literally like I rep it hard. My necklaces say 305 in oh, Miami. Oh <laughs> wow, you're like pitbull. Oh yeah, that's what that's what my IG on uh, my Twitter thing says. It's Senorita says, 305, and then I just at him every time. Wow, I love him. I love Pit. Well, so like, what did you like about growing up in Miami? It's very the culture is so strong there that, especially being like a Latina, being a Cuban, mm-hmm. no matter what, you always. Feel, even if like I'm at a Denny's or a regular like <laughs> like a restaurant that doesn't feel super Latino in Miami, yeah, the waitress is gonna ask you for your order in Spanish. Yeah, and you're gonna if you don't know how to respond back, it's gonna be like a struggle. <laughs> Was there a culture shock coming out to LA with that? A little bit, especially because I'm Cuban and a lot of the the more Latinos that I was meeting here were Mexican or like Central American, mm-hmm. so like Salvadorian, Ecuadorian, or you know things like that, and. I have so many different types of Latino friends from Miami. So that was cool because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, I'm used to, like, all types yeah. of, la- like, Latinx, like, cultures. But it was very interesting to be, like, the one Cuban all the time. Yeah. Because <laughs> over there, like, everybody's Cuban. Right. Everyone. We're all, we're all Cuban. Even if you're white but you're dating a Cuban girl for 10 years, you are Cuban now. <laughs> So, like, congratulations. I used to think, I used to fully believe that when I was growing up that uh, TV was in English and commercials were in Spanish. Everywhere. That's just mm-hmm. what I thought. I was like, well, I don't know. They, that's why. That's, yeah. There's just something where I guess we've all agreed that commercials are in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. And the radio stations, too. Even Spanish. Yeah. All Spanish. Y100, which is oh the— Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm going to ask a question for some of our listeners. So the per- the right term now to use is Latinx, right? Um. Yeah, well— well, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I've, I've also, I'm not sure what to say. <laughs> so, um, right now, because of, you know, uh, all the diversity and, and all these things and all the things that are changing in the world, sure, a lot of people do use Latinx. My show that I run, we say Latinx, but I'm also, I'm, I'm kind of half and half, uh, a white guy is the one that decided that this should be a word. Oh, really? So that's oh. like one of the biggest uh, backlashes that comes from the word. It had to do with gender, the yes. gender binary, it had and to languages do with gender, that are very gendered. Which I do, I do enjoy because 
you know, we're, you know, there we have people now that they, like I said, she, yeah, you know, like yeah, they, yeah. he, she, whatever yeah. it is, like, cool, great. Like, let us know what you are. And that's why Latinx is representative mm-hmm. to everybody. But I'm also like hella old school for some things. And I do say Latino and Latina a lot. Because when you grew up learning the language, it's very gendered yes. and randomly gendered. And and I, and I, yeah. when I was learning Hebrew, it was uh, very gendered, like chair, like chair, uh-huh. yes. moon, cheese, like all of it has a gender. Feminino and so, masculino. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which is so, I mean, not English doesn't really have that. No, no. Which is interesting because I think that's also, uh, when people are learning Spanish, mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest things they always tell me. Like, my friends will, will tell me, yeah, I just, I get confused with the boy and the girl part of the word. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get it. Because when you start learning uh, Spanish, that's just, it's hard to, like, remember, oh, there's two of these, one word. Yes. Yeah. And depends on who you're, who you're talking to. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then the yeah. difference between uh, Latino and, like, Hispanic. That, can we yeah. just dive into that? <laughs> um. So... Pretty much a lot of us were t- uh, taken over by the Spaniards. Yeah. So that's why there are there are a lot of Latinos that don't identify as Hispanic because it feels like uh, colonizers mm-hmm. took, took us over. Mm-hmm. Also, like, where you are from. So even some people, you know, the other day I was talking to someone and they were like, yeah, well, Spaniards, people from Spain are not Latino. And I'm like, well, then what are they? Spanish? And that's what he said. And I was like, okay. But and he was like, that's what I said, Spanish. And then he was like, yeah, they're Spanish, but they're European. And I was like, Okay, yeah, but they're 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 Latino, like they're, yeah. they're Hispanic, they're Latino, whatever you may want to identify then as. Then what's Portugal? You know what I mean? Exactly. Right. Well, even Haiti. Um, yeah, I've had like in our and sh- the show that I host, uh, we only have Latinx talent on stage. I'm always like, nobody can be on that stage unless they're Latinx. And maybe Drake. He's like my like one. <laughs> He's like my one, but whatever. He raps about Drake exception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He raps about Spanish girls and Miami a lot. So I'll give him a I'll give him a slide through. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, and, and uh, my friend Edgar, who I think you guys both Ed, know. Yeah, Edgar, Edgar Montclair. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's uh, one of my BFFs, and he is Haitian, and I had him do our show, and so many people are like, why is Edgar doing your show? He's black. And I was like, yeah, he's also Haitian, which is Latino. And they're yeah. like, oh, I'm like, Google it. Like, <laughs> People have a really hard time with black Latinos. Yeah, with and, Afro-Latinos. And they have a really hard time with white like white passing yeah. or like people and and Spanish like I have I have a friend who is white would identify as white maybe I actually don't know but she has a very uh Spanish last name yeah. and like is just like you know but I think people are sort of like well yeah that's a white person which like in yeah. in the day to day is a white person yeah it's hard there's i mean i really do believe in in all like minorities especially like people of color mm-hmm. there are there are so many struggles like my little sister is whiter than you and has blue green eyes and long blonde hair and but like look like we like have very similar face yeah but just different colors yeah Yeah. and then my little brother is like darker than me and people always think he's like middle eastern or or so i'm like why it's it's i mean everybody wants to tell you what where are you from oh you're this you're that they love to play the guessing game nobody ever guesses what i am how does that make you feel um you know, I, I think it depends on the situation because if you're in a in like a cool like group of people uh-huh. and somebody is new and they're like, oh, where are you from? Whatever, like it's fine. Like I don't, and as long as they're not, as long as long as they don't ask me, oh, um, do you speak Mexican? <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah. that, like there's some things that people say sometimes, and I'm like, dude, are you fucking stupid? Like yeah. how how dumb do you have to be in 2019 to be speaking to someone in that like 
matter. Mm-hmm. But I think it's presumptuous to even guess what someone is. Yeah. That feels like a strange move to me. Well, it's also when people ask me, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Miami. Oh, but like, where are you from? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, I go, you're, now I know what you want me to right. say. You want me to tell you, oh, why am I brown and look like this? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, uh. Cuban. Yeah, oh, you were born in Cuba. My parents are from Cuba. <laughs> yeah, so like, you say, yeah, exactly. And then I have to go through the whole thing, and it's just, it's a whole thing. But have you visited Cuba? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, um, not this past November, but the November prior with my big sister Danya. Oh, how was it? It was, uh, it was amazing. Um, I it was the first time that I went ever. Mm-hmm. Me and her. It was her fortieth birthday, mm-hmm. and before. My dad was like super anti any of us going. He mm-hmm. literally was he literally was super adamant about the fact that if we went, he would practically disown us because my my family yeah. had to flee Cuba. Mm-hmm. We we had they they had to leave or Fidel was you know, the mm-hmm. whole When did they leave? Um they left in the early sixties, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. A trying time. Yeah, it was it was it was one hundred percent when uh Fidel came into mm-hmm. power. Because my tío Nino was el, one of the comandantes, so like the commander, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Com- cam- I don't know how to say yeah, it in yeah. English. Commander, yeah. One of the comandantes um, with Raúl uh, Castro okay. and Fidel. Like he helped, he he helped like Fidel and Raúl get into power because at that time, Batista was so bad that everybody right. thought Fidel was going to be the savior. Interesting, and which is what everybody like. There's yeah, so many people, people. thought he was going to be great, right? Yeah. And yeah. then it was a and disaster. Then, he, then it was terrible. And my Tio Nino was like, "No, like fuck that shit. Like yeah. that's not what I got into this for. <laughs> like that's not what I literally was like in the like jungle, like sleeping for. Mm-hmm. No." And so, um, he was like, "We gotta go." And then yeah. they all just like they left. Mm-hmm. They just left. We left everything: our homes, our businesses. I mean, I say our like I feels mine, but That's your family, That's your <laughs> yeah. family, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what it was like for your dad to to like disown his country? I mean, yeah, we've taught. He gets like really like I even have goosebumps because like when I think about it, it's it's like very sad. Like when I when I landed, like I like got like emotional and like a little bit of like I cried mm-hmm. a little yeah. bit. And then when I left, I was like in like the, and I was like, oh yeah, like that's. This is this this was weird. I know part of me was like, oh, I shouldn't go and like support any of this, but also I I wanted to touch my land. I wanted mm-hmm. to I wanted to to feel what it felt like to be like a Cuban American in Cuba where my dad was like born and raised and my abuela and stuff like that. So I I did have very like conflict. Like I was very yeah. conflicted about going and and while I was there, but I did as much as I could that was against the government. Like, mm-hmm. I, we stayed in the Airbnb. We, I mean, everything was, like, on the side. We had, like, one of— The we, people, not the, the government. People, yeah, yeah. The people. So, like, we had, like, um, this guy, Humberto, uh, who was, like, our travel guide. And we ended up, like, just hanging out with him and the girl from the Airbnb, Wendy. Me and my sister were just like, hey, because it was just us two. Yeah. So yeah. they came out with us. We'd take them out to eat and, like, to the bars and the clubs mm-hmm. and— Everywhere, Vignales, everywhere we went. And it was really cool because also it felt so, like, legit and real. Uh I felt like an Anthony Bourdain kind of style (laughs) trip. Because it wasn't just, like— It wasn't manufactured. It wasn't, like, two, like, like, white girls just, like, uh, trying to shop or, like, not— Mm -hmm. It's just because I saw those people there Mm -hmm. and it was, like, they were trying to, like, get their Instagram pics and stuff like that, which is fine. Like, I did did a photo shoot with a photographer there, but, again, I'm Cuban. (laughs) It was just, like, different in certain situations. We even bought a bunch of gifts— and brought them in a backpack um, to give to the kids when we would go, like, to certain places. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. Did it feel familiar to you or did it feel more foreign? 
Um, it's. I mean, it did feel foreign. There, there were parts where I was speaking Spanish, and mm-hmm. they. It's funny because like the Cubans in Cuba still speak very different than like the Cubans in Miami mm-hmm. and oh. and everywhere else. Like our I mean, even my accent isn't even that strong. Uh, like Cuban accent just because I have so many like, I've worked with a lot of Colombians mm. and I had a lot of Colombian and Venezuelan friends in high school that my accent just is all over the place like <laughs> I go in for an audition in Spanish I'm like alright Raisa who are you today what <laughs> are you Mexican what accent are you doing but cause uh, the auditions like rarely specify they're just like la- a they, Latinx person yeah or they'll say new. well if it's if they want it in Spanish they'll say neutral accent which just means Mexican accent oh really uh, <laughs> how did you learn that's what what that meant um my 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 mexican friends pretty much told me and little by little like within like getting growing like this group of latino actor comedian friends they were just like oh yeah they mean mexican i'm like oh cool so when i'm going in there talking hella cuban that's why it's not working what is it like to go in and and portray a different nationality it feels weird this year was the first time i ever went out for a lead that was cuban Oh, wow. Yeah, for a pilot. And the lead was Cuban. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Oh, my God. This is so fucking cool. I got this. And she's like, very Miami. But she lived in Silver Lake, which I'm like, I live in Silver Lake. Cool, cool, cool. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, So, like, it felt very exciting to have that opportunity. But then everything else is usually Mexican or Puerto Rican or Colombian. Those yeah. are, like, usually the three that uh, And you Puerto Rican is so different. So different. I mean, they're all different. Yeah. But Puerto Rican is, like, very different. Like, yeah. you can't confuse Mexican and Puerto Rican. It's so I guarantee different. you a lot of people do. I mean, yeah. I'm sure they can. <laughs> oh, for sure. To answer your question, yeah. it's It feels sometimes problematic, but at the same yeah. time, it's like there were shows, like, you know, One Day at a Time was about a Cuban family, and there was not one Cuban lead actor. Really? Yeah. How does, how does that make you feel about that? You know, in the beginning, I'm not going to lie, I was a little... Uh, annoyed by it yeah. because I was like come on you couldn't find one fucking like Cuban mm-hmm. actress or actor or like okay sure Rita Moreno give her everything yeah. she is a queen she's Puerto Rican let her play anything she can play let her play a man I don't care yeah. like let her do whatever she wants but yeah. I was just it was a little disheartening but then at the same time you have to you have to like pick and choose like your like mm-hmm. wins your and losses yeah. your battles and uh I'm like, great, there's a Cuban show out mm-hmm. there on Netflix that is showcasing my culture and, like, what most Cubans are. Like, it's just, to, it's weird to watch. Our, but the same thing happened, like, in Narcos. There was a bunch of Mexicans uh-huh. playing Colombians. Like, how do, you, how do you find the community out here? Like, how did you find all these people? Like, how did you sort of come out here and, and meet other Latinx people to, like, support, you know, support yeah. you? Yeah, so— when I first came out here, I was lucky that like I, I used to work in the music industry in Miami. Mm-hmm. So I worked for I worked for a big Colombian singer, um, Juanes. I, like, I know yeah. him. I'm like not to name drop, but no, please. I was, I was about like, to ask. I, know, I was, I was like, like, who, who, who? I, I know. I always say it, and I'm like, oh, I feel so weird, like name dropping. But yeah, I used to work with Juanes, and uh. um, and so that's why, like, even more, like, I saw Colum- yeah. was Colombian. I was like, parcero. Like, um. And so I had a lot of music contacts out here, mm-hmm. and my friend set me up with like meetings, like me, like you know, like hey, meet my friend, like she's new, kind of yeah. thing. Um, and then once I started doing improv, I was like, I noticed there wasn't anybody that like looked like me on stage or like speaking Spanish or anything. Like there was no accent. Like I saw, I always remember Eugene Cordero was like the first like brown person I saw. I was like, <laughs> oh, is he Latino? No, he's Filipino. Okay, cool, mm-hmm. great, great, great. I'm like, but he's great though. Oh, he's 
amazing. Super I funny. love him. But so then I started doing a lot more indie shows and I started a all Latino team from just like random people. I was like, oh, like he's funny. She's funny. Mm-hmm. They're Latino. I'll ask them if they'll do a show. And then we started doing that. And then I got put onto like this like Spanish speaking team, Improvisos Peligrosos. And with that team, I met Oscar, Carlos and Tony. I know Oscar. Yeah. Oh, you know Oscar? Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, He's the best. Um, Oscar Montoya. Yes, Oscar. Yes, Oscar Oscar Montoya. Montoya. Tony Rodriguez, Carlos Santos. And we, uh, I asked them to do Spanish Aki Presents. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I realized there was no Latinx shows. Like, there was every single type of representation at that theater but Latinos. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Um, it's interesting because we are the majority minority. I know. I was going to say. <laughs> uh, I don't think at that time that many Latinos were doing improv. I think sometimes improv is so white that people yes. just go, well, it's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. They don't think that there's like a place for them there. I do meet a lot of Latinos. They're like, oh, I want to do it. Da, da, da. And then they take like one class and they're just like, yeah, I did it. And I'm, and that's fine. But that's like with everybody. I don't mm-hmm. think it's only Latinos, obviously, that do that. But it was one of those things where I, I don't know, there just, there wasn't. And with the boys, like on our, on my team, like I, we just, we started doing so many shows together and we had such good chemistry that I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like I'm going to pitch this. Yeah. Yeah. And then. It's also very expensive to do improv. It's, that's another thing that I think, thank God they have a diversity scholarship and yeah. a diversity coordinator that's, that helps within that, which is funny. I'm like, I never, I never got the diversity scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> like, mind you. Um, and I'm like, and also I was, I was like the first like bilingual, like female, like Latina, like on a Herald team. Which yeah. was kind of cool. I didn't know that's that until amazing. like somebody told me like in LA. I don't know if they had it in New York, but I was like, oh, that's kind of tight. I'm like, uh, that's like a random specific. A Herald team is like an improv team, by the way, at yes. uh, at different improv places like UCB. It's like or a house team. You have house to audition team. for yeah. it and get on it. It's a, it's a very wonderful accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was my first time auditioning, so that was pretty tight. Yeah. And, um, but uh, yeah, I realized while I was doing that even more, I think that was also part of it. I was so I was on Herald and we had a pretty like pretty uh, diverse team, uh, I would say. Um, and a lot, a lot of people would DM me on Instagram or Facebook or twi- whatever, or just come to me outside or if they saw me at the theater and just be like, Oh my God, it's so like, it's so nice to see somebody like me on stage. Like, mm. not to be like, oh my God, they were like fangirly. It wasn't that at all. It was just like very much like respect. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you did that abuela character. And I've done, I mean, I did, I did an entire scene in Spanish once. Mm-hmm. And it's like something that probably Oscar is the only one that's ever done that maybe mm-hmm. on that stage. Yeah. Maybe Zeke. Zeke also speaks Spanish, but, but is yeah. that exciting to you that you're doing this? Or is it just frustrating that like this is the first time it's happening? I would say both. It's it is exciting because it is nice to have people like hit you up and make you feel yeah, good when you're you, with finding community that you become the center of community. Yeah, yeah. And and now with our show, it's so it's crazy to see like the response of it. Cause in the mm-hmm. beginning I was like, all right, I'm just gonna throw, we're gonna I don't know, I'm throw this shit together. Fuck it. Let's <laughs> see what happens. And the amount of people that like reached out after like our first show was crazy like to the point where now we have celebrities or stand up and influencers or whoever reaching out to us mm-hmm. to do wow. the show and i'm like oh i thought this was going to be so much harder mm-hmm. to get people. <laughs> but they've come to us and that makes me feel good i think a lot of minorities enjoy in speaking as a queer person too like enjoy shows that they know are going to be safe spaces for them mm-hmm. like jenny Yang's show that was uh just like an asian comedy show yeah they do asian as fuck right full i mean and disoriented i think she used to do oh, okay okay but they were 
sold out, full Asian audience. Yeah. And it was remark. I mean, it was just like, they felt like, okay, I'm going to come to this and nobody's going to make fun of me mm-hmm. in a way that isn't respectful. Yeah. It's, it's really beautiful to see. Our, also, our audience is not only Latinx, which is kind of cool because mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of all our like friends come. It doesn't matter what color, ethnicity they come. Yeah. And it's like, we had this one show where we had, um, do you know the, the movie Mi Vida Loca? It's no. like, oh. so Mi Vida Loca was like the first like chola, like hardcore, like real chola <laughs> movie. And you guys got to watch it. It's so good. Um, and we had uh, most of the cast. Wow. And we did like a Q&A. We had oh, Sad Girl, amazing. who was the lead. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, we we interviewed them. We interviewed a re- the what uh, this girl, Vero, who her, she was a real life chola. Growing up for real. Nice. And we interviewed her because a lot of the movie was also like based on like part of like her real life. Can you explain for our audience what a chola is? <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not Mexican, but I know, yeah, I, know. I know. It's so, it's also um, very, uh, there was like a lot of one of the first viral videos I saw in Florida was that chola, chonga, the chonga, chonga girl. Video. So chongas, I'm really good friends with Mimi and Laura. They've done our show. Yeah, uh, the chonga girls, yeah, very done, popular. Oh, they're great. A chonga is like Miami, mm-hmm. more like Miami. Uh, uh, I literally don't know if it's part of New York or East Coast, that area, but yeah. for sure it's Miami. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chola is more West Coast, like mm-hmm. Mexicans uh, claim Chola more. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a female that is, you know, she she's like, she's just like a tough, like, she's a tough bitch. Like, yeah. she's, you like... I don't even know. You like sh- you can't fuck around with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but she always looks like on point. She's got her wing eyeliner. Uh, she they all have like the gr- their girls' backs or other cholas' backs. It's kind of like it's like it's a girl like gang. Your miha, yeah, it's like yeah. a girl gang. Um, but I also know like they they don't like to only refer like towards like the whole gang mm-hmm. thing because of that. Like it's right. So I think it before it was definitely. Um, a little bit more gang life oriented. Mm-hmm. Oriented. Um, now it's more like sisterhood oriented and yeah. kind of like positive, cool. like female empowerment, like feminist. There, I mean, cholas, hell yeah, like they're like they're they're feminist as fuck. I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the misconception yeah. is like trashy girls. Yeah, which is like what chongas in Miami, Miami get, get the get rep. Called, yeah. yeah, yeah, like 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 they're like everybody thinks that like a chonga is like somebody that will like fight you and like yeah they'll fight you but like you probably deserve it yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> like, they'll, they'll look good doing it <laughs> yeah oh yeah and like they won't take off their hoops they don't need to yeah. <laughs> oh man oh wow that was very I got a flashback there uh huh you've ever taken off taken off your hoops for a fight I've seen it happen oh yeah <laughs> I'm not doing it I'm not fighting but I've seen it happen <sighs> that's the that's when you know I, like when I went to uh, when you would like be in Miami and you saw that and like if you saw them start to take off the hoops you were like I gotta get out of here oh, hell yeah. <laughs> blood oh. is about to be shed oh I love it I'm like I love me a good fight I feel like I haven't seen a good fight in LA Miami was so fun have that. you ever been in a big fight uh, I did get in a fight uh, I was playing intramural basketball that okay but the, the perfect that, time to fight yeah, everyone think. fights in intramural basketball oh not in my school apparently <laughs> oh. I, oh yeah I um how old were you uh, it was like my sophomore year I think in college I don't know how old you, like everyone, 20 yeah okay yeah I think everyone like, would think. get so worked up emotions yeah. are high yeah well I was also it was like my first playing like 
time playing intramurals, mm-hmm. my friend Victoria Mole like was like, "Hey, like we need some players. You want to come?" And I was like, "Yeah, cool." And I played one game. It was cool. And then this, it was I think it was like literally the second game, <laughs> and this girl just kept like. Just, like, I would, didn't even have the ball, and she was, like, pushing me. And I was mm-hmm. like, yo, like, you got to stop. Like, I'm like, come on, like, like relax. Like, no, I'm not trying to get hurt. Blah, high blah, stakes, blah. high stakes. I mean, she also was, like, like sh- smaller than me. Like, she was way thinner than well, me, so I was like, I could push this bitch, but no. Yeah. She, like, came at me, and I was like, yo, you need to stop. She, like, pushed me, and I just, like, went back at her, and we— I mean, my contact fell out. Oh, my, my like, God. Oh, you won. Um, I will say neither of us really won because both yeah. of our teammates pulled us back. Even uh, Victoria, Victoria's mom jumped. She's like this little like Honduran woman. And she is like the toughest woman you will ever meet probably in Miami. She like takes no shit. And she like jumped oh on the ref because then the ref was like. Uh, she jumped tra- on the ref? Oh, yeah. I was like a student. <laughs> oh, I had to go to like court like. School court and FIU and everything. Oh my god! School court. Yeah, I got. I almost. I almost got like expelled from college, like wow. from my uni because of it. Apparently. You had to go to the court at Florida International University. Yeah, so it was they, her school. Yeah, so we uh, both. Yeah, we both went to FIU, and uh, we, me, Victoria, and the other girl had to go. But it's kind of like a weird. It's a long story, but the ref was a student, and um, a. Like two weeks prior to our court date, he was changing a tire on the turnpike after coming from Disney Disney World. Sorry, Disney World, and got hit by a car and was like just dead once he got hit by the car. And so he was. I know it's crazy because this is a insane story. It's an insane. I know. I say I've said it to people, and they're like, "Yeah, right." I'm like. No, like legit, this is what happened because the joke with my dad is always like, Raisa, you put a hit on the guy, huh? So you wouldn't get kicked. I'm like, no, Papi. And like, I am like, feel, and my friend, like my friend Victoria calls me crying, telling me, and I'm like, she's like, he's dead. And I'm like, who is he? I'm like, first start off with his name. Like, I need to know if I need to have a feeling. And like, I'm not going to lie, I didn't cry. But um, because he was not there to speak against us three, we were not expelled because he pretty much could have been like, oh, what? like all of them started it. Because his like word was like, his word against us was that we all started it and that we should not be allowed to play. We should, whatever. Um, wow. He, one of you put a hit on that I guy. I mean, it wasn't me. I did no brujeria, nothing. I mean, if somebody did brujeria on my family for me, not my problem. Oh <laughs> my God. Speaking of insane situations, <laughs> would you like to join us for our game show segment of the podcast yes so now we will be playing america's favorite game show hypotheticals <laughs> i'm gonna give you a couple of scenarios and you're gonna tell me what you would do in those scenarios and then um you're probably wrong mm. oh yeah we will lose i'm playing as well okay. i don't know the. I, so we're not against each other we can help each other okay. but i i'm also playing i don't know the hypotheticals <laughs> okay this is my area of expertise <laughs> from my sick mind wow the first game would you stay with this cheater Okay? Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. The year is 2,345. Okay. <laughs> Your right. significant other of 70 years, lifespans have increased dramatically, <laughs> goes off in search of new life in the galaxy. Uh-huh. They return with three new life forms and at least four never-before-seen STDs. Oh, my God. Would you stay with this cheater who was, quote, just doing field research? Uh, now, what do the aliens look like? A, a range. Humanoid? Some. What about the other ones? Uh, I'd say one resembles more like an octopus. Oh. Are they sexually attracted to these, to all of them? Uh, yes. Your um, 
your partner is pansexual. Got it. And is attracted mostly to someone's spirit. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, well, I mean, I think they should have told me ahead of time that this was a possibility of their research. Well, they didn't know. They'd never, you know, they'd never seen a Ukadmakan. <laughs> okay, but they, but they couldn't, um, shoot me a text? Uh, no, they had very bad, bad service. Reception, bad reception. <laughs> service is bad even in the future? Damn. Yeah, because honestly, AT&T takes over everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm going to say no, because... Are they? St- I just think like they didn't. They didn't take me into consideration, and they didn't care about me. So I'm gonna say no. I mean, I'm happy that they're an explorer. Good for them with their. I mean, I'm glad they did this. Took one for the team for our planet. You to- don't want to stay with the most famous explorer of your time. Oh, they became really famous. Oh, oh wait, they're famous. Hold yeah, on, how wait. many followers do they have? <laughs> they became really famous. How much money do they have? They have a ton of money, and they're super famous because they've discovered new life. And they want to be with me. Yes, but they do want to be with me. I okay. have a question. Yes, are these STDs contagious? Like, am I gonna get it? Well. What the thing about STDs is they are contagious. <laughs> well, because yeah, in the future aliens. maybe they're not. That's why oh. they are curable. Oh, they oh, are. And and how much pain are you in if you get them? Uh, so your partner has actually experienced a ton of pain, which is sort of you know their penance. Their penance. Hmm. Well, okay, but and you don't have to sleep treat- with them until they get treated. That's fair. Yeah. No, you do have to sleep with oh, them you do? before you get treated. Oh. Why? Because they just get real riled the moment they see you. <laughs> and they see us and their clothes is off. They're ready. And you're like, what is that lump? And why is it so, moving? The lump is right under their stomach where you just pointed. <laughs> the lump is under their top, breast. Top of their rib cage. Rib cage, that's And hot. it is a bulbous uh, like sphere. And and inside it, it keeps going, Hello. <laughs> Uh, I'm st- I'm saying no. Yeah, I'm saying no. Big mistake. They discover immortality and won't give it to you. <laughs> oh no! I'll figure out a way back in. <sighs> Our next game. Are you an asshole? Ready? Okay. So, your friend needs a ride to the airport, but you don't want to do that, so you say you're busy. Uber pool takes forever, and they end up missing their flight. They have to take the next flight. And it arrives safely. But your friend never speaks to you again. Are you an asshole? No. No. I bet you thought that flight was going to crash. I did think that. But I have to, you know, subvert expectations on this game show. I understand. I I think, uh, no, you're not an asshole because you're never obligated to drive anyone to the airport. No, especially in L.A. This isn't, you know. They've driven you to the airport upwards of 10 times. Ike. Ooh. And did you did you um, lie and say you were busy or yes. oh you, oh but you were busy or you weren't no you were not you, you were haven't been busy in years in this scenario oh, you're nothing and you, and you lied yeah and you didn't even come up with a good lie you just wrote back I'm busy mm. I think which again, is something my my niece likes to say to me yeah I'll be like I'll see you tomorrow and she's like I'm busy what <laughs> how old is she she's uh, just turned five oh, anyway okay. our dynamic is super healthy <laughs> I. I think, I, you know, I've said many times on this show, no is a complete sentence. So I think she, you shouldn't have said you're busy. You should have said no. Okay. I hate taking people to the airport, even though I'm the one that asks everybody all the time and people take me. What a hypocrite. 
hypocrite. I know. Oh yeah, my goodness. I know. But also I have a smart car. So like I usually can't fit anybody in my car with their luggage and stuff. Uh-huh. You That's have a why smart you got car? a smart car. You have a smart car? Yeah, a little, little car. Little baby. Well, honestly, you're lost because this is the person who figures out how to expand lifespans. So once again, you're dying early because oh, of your choices in this so game. So it's not immortality. It's just lifespan. No, because this is happening in 20... 19. Oh, oh, oh. So then you don't even get to the point. You don't even get to the 2,345. Wow. So then the first hypothetical doesn't even matter to you. It's void. You've been dead for years. (laughs) Tricks. It's all tricks. Very exciting announcement. We have a brand new show. Wow. And brand new hypothetical. Never, Never played before. It's entitled, What Would Happen If This Was An Episode of Seinfeld? Okay. Okay. How familiar are you with Seinfeld? Oh, God. I used to watch it so much when I was younger, but I don't remember it as much. I mean, I remember the tone and stuff, obviously, but I'm like, I think I can. I assume anyone I allow on this show is an expert in Seinfeld. Wow. I don't even know that much about Seinfeld. Well, good luck to this game. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Great. We're both going to do really well. We're going to kill it. Your barista at Starbucks spells your name so wrong it is incoherent. But when a different barista calls out this mumble of sounds, another customer claims it is their drink slash name, even though it is clearly yours. What would happen if this was an episode of Seinfeld and you're George? That would be their actual name. So you would make a big stink about it. You would, like, go crazy about it. And then you would end up, like, looking like an asshole because it was their actual name. And it was, like, their grandfather's name who, like, served in the war and was, like, a beautiful person. And, like, how dare you make fun of their name, which is, like, a family name uh, based on this person who was a saint. Yeah. Oh, damn, that was good. Okay, my turn. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, he's super pissed, and he grabs a, the coffee from the person that gets it, and he throws it on the floor, and there's coffee everywhere, and he's just rolling, and he's pissed, and he's yelling, and he already had a bad day because he dropped his first coffee all over his white button-down shirt and tie, and so he's just pissed. A white and, tie? Uh, no, he has, like, a really bad pattern, like, maroon-colored tie. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Um, and he's just, like, really pissed and just wants to fight everybody, and he gets kicked out of the Starbucks. And then there's pictures that are posted all over that say that he's not allowed to come back in. And he becomes the Starbucks ex- uh, expat. Yeah. No more coffee for you. (laughs) I love I came up with a real scenario. And you just stole from the soup Nazi? (laughs) And that's how that game is played. Unbelievable. Is it always going to end with the soup Nazi? No comment. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can we find you if we want to, which I'm sure we do? Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram at Rizalicea, R-A-I-Z-A-L-I-C-E-A. Gotta spell it. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Twitter, same handle. Um, And my show is Spanish Jackie Presents. We do a live show every first Friday at UCB Sunset at 9 o'clock. And... Also, we will be having a podcast here at Earwolf that yes. launches uh, July 16th. What's it called? Spanish Aki Presents. Yep. I'm, I'm <laughs> keep wrong. Keep the brand alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got we to gotta keep it all. Yeah, it'll be a bunch of Latinos uh, just having fun. <laughs> did you uh, enjoy yourself today? Yeah, I did. Oh, great. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, guys. You guys <laughs> stay, are great. <laughs> stay tuned. After the break, we'll be talking about sexism. Fun stuff. Light. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. 
X, 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 baby. 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 Bada boom, bada bing. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, sexism this week. Great. Why? Well, because I've always had a really interesting uh, relationship with it Mm. where I think that I grew up with so much like internalized sexism. Yeah. And I felt like so me against women and that anything that happened, like I felt like I, it was unfair for me to ever claim sexism in any situation and that Mm. that was like a cop out and that was like an excuse and grow now having like a bigger and better perspective. I'm like, no, that that's real. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of second wave feminism that was like, I thought, okay, I'm better than other girls. Like, you mm-hmm. know that meme where it's like, other girls, big boobs, pink dresses, like me, sneakers, books, yes. or whatever. So like, I was really into that, where I was like, I'm the girl that is cool, I'm the girl that's smart, other girls are dumb. Well, I, I think I felt so threatened by other girls, so mm-hmm. I needed to like put them down or separate myself from them in some way yeah like you know i think that there are times in my life where i like really prided myself on having a lot of guy friends oh and i would be like i'm so lucky that guys want to be friends with me Mm -hmm. what the hell is that guys will be friends with a log a log in a wig (laughs) like who cares like i i when i started doing comedy i didn't think i was funny unless men were laughing right they're not funny. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Also, you don't have to laugh at anything dudes say. You can just go, that's not funny. But you don't have to laugh at anyone, anything. Well, I I don't know. I have such a nervous laugh. I laugh all the time when I don't think things are funny. Yeah. I mean, I, it's like a it's like a habit. I just go like. <laughs> yeah. And but, then I hear it in my head and I hear it and I go, oh, God. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> I just mean like you don't have to win dudes over to be worthwhile. It's so, I really thought that. I felt like, oh, that's a thing of the past. Yes. I felt like, uh, no, this is this is the early 2000s. Oh, my it God. It doesn't happen here. You know, like, uh, my entire male improv team dislikes me because of me, not because I'm a girl. Uh-huh. And, I, and part of it was me, and part of it was that I, you know, I don't know if they would have treated a guy the same way that they treated me. They probably gave them leeway they didn't give you. Probably. It's just a, it's a difficult topic because... We're also coming at it from a place of like extreme white privilege. Oh, big time. So our experience of sexism is already like so much less than what women of color experience. Yeah, I just learned. I mean, I, I didn't just learn this, but I, I had someone on my show that was like talking about that um, black women make a, a lower percentage of money and then uh, Latin like Latinas make even less than that. And it's that crazy. is bonkers. I mean, there's no, I, it's just like, and the people that say, oh, the wage gap isn't real or people that are like, no, sexism like doesn't happen. I, I, there's like evidence, there's statistics, there's oh, numbers. I'm not even going to engage with you about the wage gap because yeah. it's so clearly proven. There's yeah. so many statistics about it. But I'm like curious of like what, like daily interactions. Have you noticed that that's still happening to you? Being catcalled. Yeah. Being catcalled. Like, Getting when I had short hair, by the way, no one talked to me. And then when now that I've been growing my hair out, it's like full catcalling again. Um, and and that is very obnoxious. And I noticed when I was out, my boyfriend at the time was like almost like six foot seven, like big guy. And and when I had longer hair a while ago, and when I was out with him, no one talked to me. No one catcalled me. It was like I was protected. But as soon as I was not out with him, 
fully followed down the street, fully yelled at. Like, I, and and I don't wear, I mean, day to day, I don't wear what I want to wear. And I don't go where I want to go. I don't cut through alleys to go faster. I don't walk, like, I, my daily in life is to not get raped and murdered. <laughs> Absolutely. But is that sexism or is that harassment? It's sexism because you're not going to say that, you're not going to do that to another guy. I hate when men are, like, catcalling you and they're like, well, I would, I, I'm just trying to talk. I'm just trying to be friends. I'm like, no, you're not because you wouldn't do this to another dude because you think he would beat you up for being gay. Like, you would not do this to a guy. You're only doing this to me because I'm a woman. Right. Don't act like you're trying to tell me to smile or be friendly. I get comments on Instagram from guys being like, why don't you smile? But I'm talking about non-sexualized sexism. Like, when... You just, like, I don't know, like, when we were at BuzzFeed, we had this boss, and, like, we were not given anything to do. And I would, like, I, like, went up to him one time, and I was like, well, what should I be doing? And he his, he was literally, like, calm down. Oh, he t- thought you were being hysterical. Yeah. And so, like, that to me is, like, classic sexism. Yes. Like, if a guy had gone up, like, I, I'm really curious, would he have, would his response have been, like, calm down the to, actual- like, a completely reasonable request? Oh, the actual words calm down when you were not riled is bananas. <laughs> and I, and so, like, I think that that, that is still very much manifesting. And I also think that there is, like, this really interesting and horrifying pushback from the Me Too movement where now men are like, I don't know how to talk to women at all. Uh, how about not creepily? Just, like, as a person. They're like, well, I don't know how to mentor a woman. And how it's do like, you mentor women the way that you mentor men. How do you interact with men? Exactly. Just interact exactly the same. Like, we're not, we're not out to get you. Like, we're not, like, waiting for you to, like... By accident, brush brush your hand against our shoulder. Right. Like, that is not our goal. Yeah. <laughs> our goal is to just, like, exist in the space the way that you exist in the space. Read the room. And I just, like, it's so interesting to me that men think that women are so different that they don't even know, like, they're acting, that they don't even know how to interact with us anymore because we're, like, we're so overreacting. And I don't like this thing, like the Joe Biden thing, where he's like, well, things are just different now. And it's like, no, we always didn't like that. Right. You're just listening. And and it's not even sexual. But I I see, like, when I'm, like, in a space or if I'm at work and I'm, like, doing something, when men come up, they'll, like, put their hand on the small of my back to, like, move me or whatever. Uh, and, and they are not doing that to dudes. And I think maybe it's just, like, they're not even thinking about it. Oh, absolutely being moved in public spaces. Being physically moved. I hate it. And and that happens. Never so, touch me. That's so often, and um, and I think they just feel entitled. They're not even sexually. They just feel entitled to like our space and our bodies, which is bananas. I had like a thing where I was like talking about catcalling, and I was like, "Hey, please don't do it." And I still, this was like three years ago on a pot on a uh, like a um a, a not anti feminist podcast, but like a podcast that was mostly dudes. And I still get hate mail about it. I still get messages being like. Oh, are you the girl who said that men are not entitled to your time? Like that, like they're like furious that I would say that men are not entitled to speak to me. I see to me like those people are are like it's expected. Like I don't think that you would like interact with the guy that sent you that email and then be like shocked that he sent you that email. What's interesting to me is like when it's happening higher up with people where you wouldn't expect it to still be happening, where you would think that those people are like aware enough. Mm. You know, like the CEOs or the high, you know, like someone mm. who's like in a position of power who like is well educated and like cultured and may still act inappropriately or democrats who are like i think we could win if we dropped abortion what (laughs) really really like and you're willing to just throw women like people with uteruses under the bus like that's your thing 
You're like, I think we should just do this. Uh, okay. And then, you know, it's so deep because, like, then there's even more statistics about trans women and, like, there's even more. Like, it's so, it's just, like, so deep. I think you bringing up the abortion issue explains it perfectly. Yeah. Where, like, people who are anti-abortion, a lot of them, they don't even realize that it's rooted in sexism. Yes. They won't even acknowledge that what they are doing is trying to control women's bodies. Yes, exactly. And it is so a, a part of their very being that they're able to be like, no, it's because I love life. Yes, that they think they're a good person right. and they're being like this. Sexism and racism, it's so interesting because it's like two things where you can explicitly show that you were sexist or racist mm -hmm. and then go, no, I'm not. How dare you call me that? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not, they treat it like it's an opinion. But it's also this thing where I had to realize that you have to respect women's decisions sometimes, even if you feel that it's coming from internalized sexism. Like you can't rescue the woman. Like women who are so proud to be traditional housewives and so mm -hmm. they'll, like, post about it. Like, I only care about my kids and cooking. And I have to just be like, they that that's feminism, too. Absolutely. It's just them letting them do what they want is feminism. Figuring out that um, feminism was just supporting women's choices was huge for me. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I think that there is, like, this thought that it's, like, well, you have to be this independent woman and you have to, like, want to, you know, you have to take charge and you have work. to, you know, work. And so there's this episode of Jane the Virgin where the grandmother character, Alba, finally gets married. And, you know, she's married for the first time in, uh, in this show, history of the show. And she is a very traditional wife she mm -hmm. like cooks for her husband and like caters to his needs and like he's the man of the house and he she says that he's the man of the house and all of this stuff right and, and jane you know being a young younger progressive woman like takes great offense to this and is like alba like i can't believe that you're doing this like you know like you're a strong woman like why are you acting this way you're like letting him walk all over you and she said and alba was like did you ever think that maybe this is the way I want to act? Yeah. That like, yes, I am a strong, independent woman. And, yeah. and this is how I want to behave. This is how I enjoy having a marriage. And also, for years, I cooked and cleaned for you and you had no problem with that. Right. You only have a problem because it's now a man. Yeah. I think you can give as long as everyone's got the options. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that it's completely valid to potentially, if you're a caregiver, to fall into a caregiver role. That brings a lot of people joy. It's also interesting, too, when I date masculine of center people who are not cis, um, the traditional roles that we still fall into. I have to be very aware of that because there can be sexism in those um, spaces, too, where, like, I have to be aware that I'm not just being the girl. Right. I let, oh, my God, the way but that— But is there anything wrong with that if that's what you want? I know, I know. I just have to really consider it, though. Like, right. I can't just Make do sure it subconsciously. Yeah. yeah. Because I still, like, I immediately get in the passenger side and let them drive. Yeah. Immediately. But here's the thing. I like being the passenger. Yeah, I don't like to drive. I don't like to drive. I like to drive by myself. I don't like to drive with other people because I'm bad at it. Yeah. And so, like, a, a big thing for me was realizing that, like, in a lot of ways, like, I do like some traditional gender roles in my relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. Like, I can behave however I want to behave in my relationship as long as there's mutual respect. 
Yeah, and as long as it's a conscious choice. Just like you say, oh, we can't be mad that women are choosing to be sex workers because, like, you know, you it, you just have to respect women. You don't have to um, like everything that they do. But if we are so pro that and, like, and like in a way where we're, like, you know— uh, like women who are sex positive or whatever versus like women who are a little pr- more prudish or a little bit more traditional or whatever, we have to be respecting both. I know. I feel like we sort of um, did a pendulum swing yeah. where then there was like this backlash against women who were like, who were like waiting till marriage to have sex or who wanted to stay home and not work. Like, mm. I think that for a while, those women felt really attacked mm-hmm. and that like other women looked down on them, especially if they weren't working and were stay at home moms. And as, as a community and as like a society, we have to like rise up and be like, that's great too. Like, it's yeah. all great. There's a lot of, um, as long as they're truly choosing it. But there is a lot of cultural stuff in it. I think white women come into like these traditional homes that are like not white and they're like, well, don't you want to do this or don't you want to do that? But like there, there's just, it's just different. It's like, co- it's like colonizing again. Like it's just, there's different ways of doing things in different cultures. Yeah, but it kind of comes down to, to choice and mm-hmm. to like getting us to a place where women can choose what they want to do. Absolutely. So they don't feel that pressure from their family to be a certain way. Yes, yes. Because sometimes that can just cause a lack of choice. Yes, or and that's a pressured decision. As long as they're presented with all the options. Right. Um, and they can, and then what, and then like what they choose isn't judged anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's been very, I, I have had so much internalized sexism about what women wear. Yeah. And being so judgmental about what women wear and like, like, oh my God, that's so short or like, that's not flattering why she wear And like, I've had to like retrain my brain to be like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, who cares? It's also, I learned really rooted in jealousy for me. Oh, interesting. Where I still like this past week, I was like at a queer camp. It's like a space that shouldn't be so normative. And this one girl was very thin and she was wearing like a bathing suit around. And I was like, and, and someone was like, oh yeah, she's just wearing this bathing suit around. And I was like, well, I'd wear that too if I looked like her. But like, shut up, Gabby. You know what I mean? It's a yeah. com- is it a compliment? No, it's just you being jealous. Absolutely. Yeah, so much of it comes from that. And like, from being like, well, okay, my body doesn't look like that. But at least like, I don't feel the need to show off my body all of the time. Ugh. Which is a horrible way to think. Exactly. But that's 100% how I was raised to think. I yeah. was, not from my parents, but just like society. from society that it's like, oh, it's like it's bad to like use your body. Yeah. But it's awesome to use your body. Yeah. Go for it if you want to use your body. And then I had the other way where like when when women are uh, curvier or fat and they're like really confident, I'm jealous there too. <laughs> like where I'm like, oh my God, like they're wearing a crop top. I wish I could do like I, I get jealous that way. Like it's so much just jealousy all around. It's like like a lot of sexism is just rooted in, je- in wanting to be able to do what these other women are are doing Mm -hmm. so you're mad and also i've had to like realize that it's okay that i don't want to dress certain ways yeah you love to dress like an orthodox jew thank you (laughs) you know but like that i you know for me it's i'm not comfortable wearing a super short dress Mm -hmm. and that's totally fine like to each his own it's like wear a bra don't wear a bra shave don't shave whatever i think that the best advice we can give is that start the revolution in your own head yeah. You know, so when you see a woman wearing something you wouldn't necessarily wear, 
you'll have the thought, but then immediately follow it up with like, to each his own. Or if you yeah. see a, a woman behaving a way you wouldn't necessarily behave or, or aspiring to do something you wouldn't necessarily aspire to do, go to each his own. Well, I f- yeah, I mean, I feel that about women who are like, I just want to be moms. I just wanted to have a baby. I don't get it, but I'm also like, well, you've accomplished your goal. Like, good for yeah. you. I, what it, with other, with the way men treat us, I think we have to, I mean, it, it's so hard because it is dangerous because they can murder us. But I like, <laughs> but I feel like it, it, speaking up is so important because other women see you speak up and they can speak up. And to make an active decision not to, to trash talk other women. Especially to dudes. Especially to dudes. Ugh. So I think that we obviously, we can't control dudes. We've been trying for a really long time, but they seem really difficult <laughs> uh, to pin down. But, you know, I think that we can start working on sexism within ourselves and then teach that to our kids and, you know, sh- like teach that honestly to our mothers and mm. like and spread it that way. And then I think that slowly, hopefully over time, we'll see more equality. Yeah. I mean, it's also like, don't be gaslit by sexism in the workplace. Like, don't think that it's not happening. If you feel that it's happening, like, talk to HR, say something. Like, don't feel like, oh, maybe I'm just being a thorn in everyone's side. Or maybe, because yes. then it'll continue. I think that, like, I always worry that I'm, like, I'm reacting out of insecurity or an inability to actually, like, take responsibility for my own actions. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, like, if I claim sexism, then I'm, like, using it as a scapegoat. It's But it's in context of society. You have to think of it in in context of society. And most of the time, if you think sexism is happening, it's happening. Right. (laughs) So I think that, like, you know, if you, like, need that extra push or backup, like, this is us telling you that, like, if someone is treating you inappropriately in the workplace, that's probably the cause of it. Or if someone's even being condescending. Yes. Ugh. The, like, mansplaining or the condescendingness. I've been in workplaces where I've said an idea, and then 30 seconds later, a guy has said the idea, and everyone's like, what a great idea. What do you do then? I just go... Yeah, it was a great idea we had. (laughs) Like I, or sometimes I've actually like shut down. Like I just shrink. I just shut down. And I'm like, and and it's terrifying to be the person who brings something to HR because sometimes like they'll out you as a person who did it or like everyone will just like not like, you know, like he makes you, it sucks to talk about sexism because it makes people not like you. I think that in the HR meeting itself, I think if you can have someone come with you, mm-hmm. that's huge. Because I think, like, if you have someone that you, maybe a, another coworker, or depending on whether or not you're in a union, potentially someone from the union yeah. will come with you, um, and have someone there who can verify mm-hmm. and, and say that, yes, this is what happened. This is how you reported it as mm-hmm. what happened at mm-hmm. the time. Like, I always think that, like, no one will listen to one woman, but maybe they'll listen to two. Yeah. And so if you can have backup in those yeah. situations and also – Write things down yeah. as they're happening. Yes. Like, take notes. Yes. And then when you – and take notes of the time, time the day, date. Yep, yep, the, yep. the specific incident that happened. Screenshots. And I love screenshots, a screenshot. Like, sit – you know, like, compile your evidence. Like, keep your receipts. And, and then yeah. that will make it so much harder for them to just, like, shut you down. I also had a boss who was so condescending to me. So condescending. And I would, like, start it fighting back with him, and it was in public. And so – other coworkers noticed. They were like, he's so rude to you. And like, that was helpful that like, they pulled me aside separately to be like, we see this. That's like, great. If you see that with, within your workplace, like, 
say something, even yeah, if it's not be, happening be to the you. Be the ally. Be the person who goes to HR with your coworker. Yeah, you know, like let's let's like do a united front, and then we're, we're much harder to to shut up quickly. What about if like your boyfriend is being condescending to you? Uh, I think you have to say something, and then also reassess why he's your boyfriend. Yeah, I've just had them not even know, not even know mm-hmm. that they're mansplaining, not even know that they're being like condescending. And sometimes like I've said that this thing happened and then I've had boyfriends be like, I don't think that's how it was. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Why is it so hard to just hear me say something and be like, oh, OK. Uh, well, do you do you vocalize that back? Yeah. A huge thing is parking. Parking. I will be <laughs> like, hey, there was a spot. And they'll be like. Well, and they get so up in arms that I pointed out a spot because they're like, and this has happened a few times where they're like, I can, I know I can find it. Like there's something in their minds that's manly about parking (laughs) and I don't understand. And I dated, and the only reason I realized it was such a thing is because I dated a guy who I said, oh, there's a spot. And he went great and parked. And I was like, that has never happened in the history of my life. I, you know, I also think that like a lot of times when that stuff happens, you have to realize it's so about their own bullshit and their own insecurity. And yeah, and like it has nothing to do with you. And, you know, potentially if you feel like your boyfriend is is behaving in this way, I think it's good to talk to them about it. Not in the moment. Yeah. But later. Yeah. Just if your girlfriend sees a spot, just park there. And that's our takeaway from the episode. Uh, Melissa, will you come on in and give us a rating? What's up, guys? Hi, what Melissa. What do, you, what do you think? Lay it on us. I will give this 4.99 smiley faces. Oh, yeah. that's so cute. <laughs> I love a smiley face. Me too. I love it like on a pancake or like, you know. <laughs> oh, like, wow. Like where you don't oh, expect it. Oh, wow, <laughs> yeah. wow, 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 wow. <laughs> little things i rate it uh uh seven out of seven miamis love it oh you should rate it what's the area code 305 out of 305 miamis yeah there we go uh yeah i i always um uh i always like uh talking about where i'm from because people have so many different experiences of it Mm -hmm. and like i never really partied and i never really um like was Soup. I mean, I was in the Jewish part. Like, I obviously the parts of like the Jewish part and the Cuban part touched and like interla- intersected. But um, I just like hearing other people's experiences of of the city. What did you think of of tough questions? Did you learn anything exciting, Melissa? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Um, I when she talked about when people asked her um, like where she's from. Uh-huh. Um, for me, like I get that question and people and i'm just like i'm from arkansas and they're like no but like where's like your family from and i'm like arkansas and um i'm black and so my ancestors were slaves and so like our identity was taken away from us so i really didn't know and then i did like a 24 me thing and and figured out some stuff so it was that was like the first time ever like really knew where my family came from. Yeah, so. that's a rude so, question. It, yeah, it, it is. Mean, that means your family's been here probably so yeah. much longer than most people exactly. have. Exactly. Like, we're like American. American. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's Why can't a- people just believe that or not ask that question? Yeah, they just... Chill out. People just think, like, the default for American is white, which it's not. No. Yeah. It's like, where are you from? You're not Native American, so... So exactly. you're from somewhere else. Yeah. I don't even know where I'm from. I thought you said France. Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> That's definitely not what I said. Uh, I thought I think, your family was French. Like mine's French and and Belgium. Mine's like a, just like a lot of white, like just like oh. Russia, like Poland. Got I think it. maybe a little France. Like Ashkenazi all, like a, Jews. Six percent yeah. French. Look at us. Yeah. We're all little Bonjour. French. Ninety-nine percent <laughs> Ashkenazi Jew. Well, I think that that's what my dad is. My I think my mom thought she was more French than she actually was when she did oh. Ancestry.com. Yeah. What did you think was uh, the funniest part? I thought that the funniest part was when I referenced the soup Nazi. That was very <laughs> funny. That was very funny. Um, I I learned uh, actually a lot about like sexism stuff. I think you had a lot of really good stuff to say about that. Really? Yeah, and I and the um the international question. I thought we both like tag team that really well. I think it's. Uh, I wish that everyone was rich. I wish yeah. that everyone was rich and everyone was equal. But everyone look into universal basic income. Yeah. Google it. Google it. I'm very into that. It's a socialist thing, but I'm 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 I think I've head I'm headed that way. <laughs> I've been a socialist for years. Yeah, I think I'm in there now. Got it. Um. Uh. And uh, what was the funniest part to you, Melissa? It was the soup Nazi thing too. Come yes, on! Yes. Come the fuck on! That's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much to our guest, Riza Lysia. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our theme music. Our producers are Kristen Torres and Melissa D. Motz. Our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. No soup for you! Come on! <laughs> Stitcher. The Mob, the Mafia, the Syndicate, the Family. Once you're in, you're in, you can't get out. What we know about the Mafia, it's all about the guys. But there's another side of the mob in the 20th century, and it's just as dangerous, but in a totally different way. Especially if you're a gay man, a drag queen, or a woman. We're talking about the underworld of New York City's very first drag clubs and the woman. That's right. A woman who ran them. A woman named Anna Genovese. Anna was the goddess. She's a tough old bird. Who was this mob queen with the insight and ability to write her own ticket in a man's world? That's what we want to know. Who is Anna Genovese? Mob Queens is out now. You can listen on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.